there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. In this video, I'm going to be talking about acute diarrhea. Um, And so if that is not your cup of tea, feel free to move along. If you're a provider, uh, unfortunately, this will come up quite often. So you might want to stick around. But if you're not a healthcare provider, you can feel free to pass on this one. In this video, I'm going to be talking about the general approach to diagnosis and the important considerations to have in your workup in primary care. And a separate video next week, I'm going to be talking about the individual pathogens and what to watch out for in each. So when it comes to the classification, um, I like these anchoring kind of pieces of information. So acute diarrhea is considered to be less than 14 days. 14 to 30 days is considered to be persistent acute diarrhea. And greater than 30 days is considered to be chronic. So chronic diarrhea is actually a separate topic, separate differential diagnosis. So I'm really just focusing on acute in this video. When it comes to this workup, you really want to think about the overarching causes as well as the other potential body systems to think about. So the main overarching causes are infectious, whether it's viral, bacterial, parasitic, or inflammatory. The things you want to ask about in your visit, I always start with old cart, right? That framework, if you've been following me for a while, you know what I'm talking about, but onset, location, duration, characteristics, associated factors, relieving factors, and time, and any treatments that they've done um, as my general anchoring for my history taking. You also want to consider, though, the other associated body systems, especially if you're not quite sure what you're looking for in terms of your, your broad differential diagnosis, because I have to say when it comes to acute diarrhea, most of the time in primary care, it's an acute viral gastroenteritis. However, the differential is really broad and it includes some red flags. So it's important to make sure that you're not being influenced by cognitive bias, thinking that, oh, of course, this is what this is. Here's all the evidence why. You really want to keep that skeptical perspective of why is it not that until it is, right? So if you're not sure what questions to ask, um, asking the full ROS for the whole GI system and then the associated body systems for any GI complaint. So GU, all of those ROS questions, cardiac and respiratory as well, as well as general in terms of like the fever and chills, weight loss, things like that. That's kind of GI as well, but it also isn't under constitutional general ROS. So some history questions I really want to highlight, and I'm looking down because I have my notes here and I don't want to forget about anything. You specifically want to ask about those red flags and those red flag symptoms will really allow you right away to triage how serious of an issue this is. So those, when it comes to diarrhea, those are fever, blood in stool, mucus in stool, watery diarrhea versus loose, they're both concerning and watery doesn't necessarily mean it's imminently dangerous, but the more dangerous ones tend to have watery diarrhea compared to looser stool. And you also want to ask about signs of volume depletion. So do they have symptoms of orthostasis? Do they have dizziness when they stand up and they change positions? Do they have dry mucous membranes? Things like that. Those are the most alarming things. And if you don't have any of those alarming things, most of the time, 
you can rest easy. However, one actual one other one I want to include <laughs> is abdominal pain. And the reason I say abdominal pain is because it's not necessarily a red flag, but the really important thing to think about is that actually it might not be diarrhea. Maybe they're coming in as diarrhea as their primary chief complaint. However, the underlying etiology might change in that you could have something like an appendicitis with abdominal pain and diarrhea, but they're only coming in for diarrhea. So I think it's just really important to be mindful. If they have any of those initial red flags or they have abdominal pain, abdominal pain, you just really wanna widen the lens of what you're looking at when it comes to differential diagnosis. So this is another one of those videos that is a very overarching video because there's so much to say. And this is the way that I approach primary care in general, is that when it comes to chief complaints, especially of primary care, very common presentations, I know the general, the general questions to ask that will lead me to the most common things and I also know what are those doorways that will allow me to think about another differential diagnosis, right? So those are my kind of like triage doorway questions to start. Blood in stool, fever, mucus in stool, any abdominal pain and where? Uh, and is it watery or is it loose, especially if there's more than six, in 20, six episodes in 24 hours? Those things are those doorways of like, okay, if you have any of those, go down that pathway, look at your resources and refresh your memory about what are the potential differential diagnoses we're looking for for those red flag scenarios. Because our job is not to memorize everything and be a walking textbook. As much as I'd like to be, that's not our job. Our job is to give safe and effective care. And if common things appear commonly, I remember all of those things and I also know what are the cues to continue to utilize my resources as well as look up further things, right? So um, I just wanna say that as, as, a, as a kind of like overarching disclaimer for this video because it really is an overarching approach. And if you encounter any of those doorways, uh, those are the paths to lead down of to looking up specifically what is diarrhea with blood, blood in stool? What are the potential differential diagnoses for that scenario, right? Some other important history questions you wanna ask that are not necessarily alarm signs, but they're really important when it comes to generating your differential diagnosis. So again, do they have abdominal pain? Where is it? Uh, what was the history of the pain development? Like did it start at the umbilicus and go to the right lower quadrant? appendicitis, anyone? Um, so history of recent exposures, history, uh, you know, medications that they've had, antibiotics, proton pump inhibitors, travel, foods, uh, where do they live, occupation as it relates to, you know, do they work in a daycare? Do they work as a food service worker? Do they work as a healthcare worker? Their exposures might be a little bit different. Pets and hobbies. And I'm smiling a little bit talking about that because I don't know off the top of my head what animals can cause what infections, but I know depending on their presentation, most of the answers to all of these things is no, typically. When somebody comes in with diarrhea, it's usually a viral gastroenteritis and all of these are no's, but at least we've asked, right? And so if they have some, some pets at home, they have and you know salamander at home, we can think about is that contributing? Is that a contributing factor at all? You know, salmonella is common with exposure to animals. Sexual practices is also really important. So, um, so uh, oral, rectal, or rectal insertive um, intercourse can predispose exposure to certain bacteria. So those are important things to think about. Some really other important things to think about in terms of the higher risk patients and higher risk scenarios. Again, more doorways. 
if they have more, which I already kind of mentioned, but if they have more than six episodes of watery stool in the, in the last 24 hours, severe abdominal pain or signs of hypovolemia, those are really concerning because they're at risk for dehydration, they're at risk for decompensation. And of course, abdominal pain is fit severe is at risk for higher red flag diagnoses. Mesenteric ischemia might present with diarrhea and abdominal pain that is out of, out of proportion with their physical exam, right? But it's not the diarrhea that's the underlying thing. It's a symptom of the mesenteric ischemia, for example. Again, signs of inflammatory diarrhea, blood, mucus in stool or fever, high risk patients, you want to be really careful with them. So if they're over the age of 70, if they have underlying cardiac disease and the rationale for that is that they're more sensitive to fluid status changes. So if they get dehydrated, they need IV fluids that could put them into heart failure or require hospitalization more than somebody who doesn't have an underlying cardiac disease. If they're immunocompromised, especially if they have, or, or in addition to severe HIV with a low CD4 count, those patients have, that's another doorway there because those patients have additional considerations in terms of pathogens that they might potentially have compared to somebody else with a with an immune system that is not compromised. If they've had symptoms greater than a week, that is definitely concerning as well. And then again, things to keep in mind, if somebody's a daycare worker, a healthcare worker, um, a food service worker, um, they potentially, you just wanna be more careful with their diagnosis because they could be spreading it to other people or they could be exposed to other things that other people aren't. So the next steps after the history are looking at the abdominal exam, and it's really the same as any other abdominal exam, right? So you're looking for, is there distension? Is there severe pain? Is there guarding? Is there rebound signs of peritonitis, signs of an ileus, signs of blockage, uh, things like that. The, all of the regular stuff that you're looking for in an abdominal exam and any of those red flags definitely lead you down that red flag differential diagnosis path. So in patients who don't have severe symptoms or are in that high risk category, most of the time they can get away with supportive care and observation. So adequate hydration with them, some sort of um, not just plain water that has some sort of solute in it where it's either an oral rehydrating solution, Hydrolyte, and I'm not affiliated with any of these brands, but Hydrolyte is an example. Powerade and Gatorade are more of like a sweat replacement um, electrolyte drink, and they have a lot of sugar, but that is also an option too, whatever they can kind of keep down. Some people talk about loperamide or other um, anti-diarrheal agents, and it's really conflicting whether or not those are recommended. Some people find them to, you know, can decrease the duration of the illness by about a day or so, but also there's some evidence that it can lead to trapping of, of liquid in the small intestine, potentially. This was very like preliminary stuff that I found. So anybody who takes those needs to follow the directions and not overdose on them and make sure that they're also drinking adequate hydration, having had adequate hydration, adequate fluid intake, because there can be some hidden fluid losses because of that. I, I have a conversation with the patient. If there's any high risk things, I wanna investigate that further um, before I consider any kind of treatment. And I usually recommend, unless they're really having a hard time with it, to generally avoid those. Um, because anytime you introduce medications, there's always risk for side effects, right? So in terms of the further workup, I think I think myself as a new grad and every single new grad that I work with typically wants to do some sort of labs. Like I think they're really worried about someone coming in with acute diarrhea. Should I do a basic metabolic panel? I'm really worried that they're gonna be dehydrated and it's really hard to trust that and trust your own clinical judgment when you're a brand new grad or you're a newer clinician. But for the most part, if they don't have underlying conditions, if on your physical assessment, they don't have any signs of either orthostasis or dry mucous membranes, et cetera, et cetera, volume depletion, typically they, as long as they're taking adequate hydration and you advise them of the care and the alarm signs and symptoms, they don't necessarily need labs. For the patients who 
are higher risk that I mentioned, you want to potentially consider doing stool, stool cultures as well as um, potentially a CBC. Um, although if you do a differential, it won't, it doesn't, in this scenario of diarrhea, it doesn't necessarily reliably tell you on the differential if it's parasitic versus viral versus bacterial, et cetera, et cetera. But it may be more significant, in the more significant serious in illnesses, you will see some changes in the CBC with diff. That's what I understand at least. So a basic metabolic panel is definitely um, appropriate if somebody looks volume depleted, a CBC with differential, if they have a more se severe presentation, stool cultures and high risk patients or specific scenarios, especially if they have signs of inflammatory um, diarrhea. So again, fever, blood and stool, mucus and stool. So that's like the general overview of diarrhea and I don't really have a comprehensive list of red flag diagnoses. So in next week's video, I'm gonna be talking about the breakdown of etiologies as it relates to the micro, like the microbiology and like the testing a little bit more as well as those red flag diagnoses but I just encourage you to just be really careful when it comes to diarrhea making sure that you're not missing anything um, when it comes to a red flag and I don't necessarily have a like a comprehensive differential diagnosis list of diarrhea red flags but just know that and, and I'll talk more about it in, in next week's video in terms of the breakdown of the more severe um, underlying pathogens, but when it comes to anybody with abdominal pain, just treading very cautiously and expanding your differential diagnosis list to include the red flags of abdominal pain as well. So, uh, so that's it for this video. If you have not grabbed the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You get these videos sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and other bonuses that I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much for watching. Hang in there and I'll see you soon. That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.